Welcome back this evening, and especially to those of you who may be guests, if you stayed for the Downey celebration, it was a wonderful time this afternoon, and we appreciate uh, being able to celebrate and to honor them. That's something we should celebrate and honor and teach our children to honor. As we were driving up this afternoon, uh, the Levering family in the car and uh, kind of go through, what are we doing? We're going to celebrate Mr. John and Miss Annie's anniversary, and why are we doing that? Well, because marriage is special, and we should honor that. And uh, so then I started, the kids ask, how long have you and mom been married? And I said, well, 17 years. And I told them, I explained them that the age trick, that they could, you know, with grace, just take whatever age you are and add 12, and that's how many years we've been married, and Tyler, add six. Add six to your age, and that's how many years we've been married. Just to kind of help them as they go along. Make sure they don't forget the big number 50. And so I asked Grace, I said, well, Grace, can you tell me how old you'll be when mom and dad celebrate 50 years? She thought about it for a second. She said, you guys won't make it that long. (laughs) You interpret that how you will. <laughs> it's a good thing to be able to celebrate things as a family, and uh, and I uh, hope you were able to do that this afternoon. If you're a guest here, stayed over from the celebration, uh, welcome. On Sunday nights, we were talking about hope and faith, and how those two things work together. And and specifically, we're looking at how they work together through the lives of the men and women of faith. Uh, we've worked in the New Testament, and now we're going and looking at some of the Old Testament characters. Our theme verse for that is Hebrews 10.23, where the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That, that The faith really isn't about us or any of the characters, even though we look at their lives and what they did. The faith was about who it, it was about who their faith was in and not the person who had faith necessarily. We started last week talking about Moses, and we're not going to spend, because there's just not enough time to really cover the life of Moses. I really just wanted to focus in on one aspect of Moses' life, and this was a two-part lesson. This is the second of, that, of those two parts. Last week we had some other family things going on after services, so rather than try to squeeze it all in one lesson, we just uh, will stretch it over two. The focus of Moses' life, if you're uh, following along in your Bible, and I always appreciate those who do because it's a very Berean-like thing to do, is Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. And we'll get to that uh, here in a minute. But that whole verse talks about that Moses was the meekest among all men among the face of the earth. And just on face value, realizing who wrote the book of Numbers and that he would write that about himself seems kind of odd. So uh, for a brief review, if you weren't here last week, uh, the first thing this kind of strikes is Moses was meek. Uh, It doesn't really sound like what we think of when we think of the word meek. And we talked about the definition according to Google. Uh, the logical question is, did Moses really write that? 
And some people will use this to question the authority of Scripture because there's no way the meekest man who ever lived would write that he was the meekest man who ever lived. seems kind of uh, to be contradictory. So then we work to define that, and the common definition is simply quiet and submissive. Uh, the picture we get of that is Mr. Rogers, a guy who's just, uh, you know, wants to be everybody's friend, doesn't have any qualms with anybody, never raises his voice. And I have a problem with that definition of meekness. Because when you look at Bible characters, especially Old Testament, and certainly Moses, it just doesn't fit. Picture doesn't match the description. So either... One of two things. One, Moses wasn't meek. And this is a part of Scripture that we just need to ignore. Because you know, it's flawed. It, it's wrong. I, I certainly don't agree with that conclusion. Second is that, that Moses was meek. And my understanding of that word is probably flawed. And I think it's that second one. That's where at least the direction that we're headed. So when we talked about the context of Numbers chapter 12, it was this Miriam and Aaron basically questioning the authority of Moses. You called God, you know, we, we can speak too. And when you read the whole, not just those three verses, the whole chapter, you see very quickly that Miriam and Aaron had an authority problem. And this is pretty important to understand what meekness is all about. Because I contend that you can be loud and brash and outspoken and, and very strong leader in the kingdom and still be meek. As long as you have a proper understanding of perspective of authority. So when we gave two examples, this is where we left Last week. Example number one of meekness in the Old Testament is David. And David would not kill Saul, though he had more than one opportunity. We looked last week at the one from 1 Samuel chapter 24. And we know that story, but basically, David's hiding in his, and his contemporaries are hiding in a cave. Saul doesn't know that. Saul goes into the cave. David has the opportunity and is encouraged by his friends to take out Saul. But uh, David says this in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 10. Behold, he's talking to Saul now after he's left the cave. David's kind of calling him out and saying, look, I had the opportunity. You need to understand something. Behold this day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand <clears throat> against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. That David was king uh, he was compared to Saul as a warrior. They would say Saul killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David was ten times the man Saul was, was another way of saying that. Probably wasn't a very popular song among Saul and his followers. But David was a strong leader. 
that we get most of our psalms uh, from him, that, that David called him a man after God's own heart. And David was a strong leader. And what made him strong was not all of those things. And this is at a, a, the example of that. Saul was a bad leader, a bad king, made many mistakes. He certainly caused a lot of a lot more trial and struggle for the nation of Israel than they needed to have. <clears throat> but he was God's anointed. And because he was God's anointed, David wouldn't touch him. David respected not necessarily Saul, but he respected God and those who God had called. That's important. <clears throat> Meekness has to do with our attitude toward God. Even when we may disagree, even when there may be many reasons in our mind, uh, David's example is a good one here. The second example is Jesus. Jesus led rough men. He was a carpenter by trade, so altogether likely that he was a strong man and used to working around rough characters. He turned over tables. <clears throat> he was not this meek and mild, lowly, meek in the sense of lowly and weak and quiet. We're told in the gospel accounts that he made whips. That's a VBS story I've never seen. There's Jesus making whips. What are you going to do, Jesus? He confronted leaders. He got right up in their face and sons of hell. And he let them have it. <clears throat> Sometimes I wonder if we would be comfortable with Jesus' leadership in church today. When you really look at an honest picture of who he was and how he... Led. It's pretty rough. I'm not saying it was had sin in any of that. Don't misunderstand. I'm just saying that Jesus did what needed to be done when it needed to be done. Isaiah chapter 53. <clears throat> you know this description, but reflect with me again on verses 4 through 7 of Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one. To our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open its mouth. His mouth. Jesus' meekness was clearly seen by his humble obedience to the Father. The best example I can think of is the song, Ten Thousand Angels. Uh, <clears throat> they, they cursed him and they mocked him. Uh, they spat upon him. 
He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world. You ever have that picture in your mind from the perspective of an angel of what Jesus on the cross dying, being beaten, being mocked? Angels encircled that hill. I don't know that they did, but this picture in my mind of these mighty creatures of God made to do His bidding. These angelic creatures that could take out entire cities. That struck men blind and that absolutely could annihilate the strongest of men like that. As they encircle Calvary's hill. Just waiting for the king to say the word. Strike. Come. Rescue. Save. But angels, as servants of God, do only the bidding of God. And so as the Lamb of God stood silent not opening his mouth. And the angels wait. Just say the word. We'll take care of it. That word never came. That's meekness. That's God's absolute strength Yielding fully and completely to God's absolute control. So we see that our meekness, as we define it, is more than quiet and submissive. It's about our attitude, not so much toward others, but toward God Himself. Fully trusting that He's in charge. That He knows best. Humbling your plan to his plan. As he bowed in the garden the night before all of this would happen. Father, please, Luke 23 says, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus called us by example, and by teaching directly to be meek. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, he gives these characteristics of his followers, of his disciples. And that blessedness, which goes so much deeper than just happiness, that constant, inward, uneroding, unyielding, Joy that overtakes the attitude and the life of a disciple. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Which seems to be on its face one of the most puzzling things Jesus would ever say. Because in our world, the meek are not those who rule the world. 
You only get to positions of power by pushing other people down and by stepping and by climbing and dog eat dog and showing your force by force. And Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. The Mr. Rogers of the world will inherit the earth. The nice guys will finish first. No, that's not what's going to happen if that's what you think meekness is. Jesus, as a rabbi, which is what he was, not only knew scripture because, well, hey, he wrote it. (laughs) But as he preaches, he brings in and he quotes so much of the Old Testament scripture that his people... The Jewish people would have recognized, they would have found familiar. He wouldn't have said, no, as it says here, but he'll just throw it in. So as we read it, sometimes we forget that, that as a rabbi he would be quoting much of the law, the prophets. It's very likely that Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 is written as not as its unique thing that Jesus made up, but rather from Psalm chapter 37. In Psalm chapter 37, starting about in verse 4, read these words. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think this is so key because this passage from Psalms helps us understand what meekness is all about. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, they will not be there. Now, before I read verse 11, I just want to review here what the psalmist has covered. Number one, delight yourself in the Lord. It's not delighting in your own plans, in your own dreams, in your own desires. It's about delighting yourself in Him. Secondly, commit yourself, commit your way to the Lord. There's lots of different paths you can take as I think about our college freshmen. I mean, they're at that point in life, literally at, at the crossroads. So many different ways they could take. They could take the path that others choose for them. They could take the path that they've been dreaming about for years. They could take the path that their parents or others have encouraged them to take. Or they could take God's way. The difficulty is when those paths diverge. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. So you have joy, perseverance, patience before the Lord. All of this helps us understand, in my opinion, meekness much better. Now, continuing in verse 11. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. 
you've probably heard meekness at one point or another, if you've listened to enough sermons and lessons and classes on the subject, as strength under control. That's a good definition. I just want to clarify, it's your strength under his control. Your strength under his control. So that meekness is acting when God calls us to act. Speaking when God calls us to speak. In the same way, meekness is being silent when we're called to be silent because it's part of God's plan. And not acting when God's not ready for us to act. The meek are those people who have learned to submit their will, their desires, their thoughts, their plans completely to God's will. People who commit themselves completely to him. They are those who trust in him. They are not swayed by popular opinion. They are not swayed by common sense or conventional wisdom. They are not swayed by any uh, external factors because their trust is fully and completely in the Lord alone. And they wait patiently for him. They put their strength under God's control. It's not a perfect analogy, but I thought of this as James came up to lead the prayer tonight. James is a police officer. Police officers, and we have several in law enforcement here at Northside, uh, they go under very strict training because they're given tools of strength, whether it be their sidearms or other weapons. <clears throat> the training is about when to use those. I guarantee you in our culture today, there are lots of times when police officers are antagonized and, and mocked and saw a video of some protesters uh, not too long ago and they were attempting to go up on the highway. And there were these highway patrol officers just standing across the ramp. Now, they didn't act. They didn't do anything. They just stood there, just stone cold. Because they were waiting for the order to act. Their instinct, their desire, their emotions all had to be completely under control to make sure the situation didn't get out of control. They simply put their strength and their, all their power that was on them fully under control. Now, had the time called for it or had the law been needed to be enforced, I have no doubt they would have acted quickly. But it didn't come to that because they kept it under full control. To me, that's a wonderful visual of the closest we can ever understand to godly meekness. This is what we are called to be in, in Christ. Number six, Moses was meek because he understood who <clears throat> was in charge. Who wrote Numbers chapter 12, verse 3? Indeed, Moses wrote it. I mean, his, his hand put the characters down. But if we understand that all Scripture was given by God, breathed by him, and not of the prophet's own opinion or 
It was God writing Numbers chapter 3, uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, rather. Only he could know Moses' heart. That as Moses stood there silent against his accusers, and he entrusted God. God, look, if I've done the wrong thing, I'll accept your judgment. But he didn't feel the need to answer because he knew the one to whom he was answerable. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27, gives us some insight into why Moses was this way. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, verse 25, to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That's thought-provoking right there. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Man. That's it right there. I mean, so much of Moses' life had called Moses to trust in God, to wait on him, to do what he says, and to not waver from that. Yeah, if we could learn that lesson, wouldn't it affect our relationship with other people? Wouldn't it affect our perspective, our long-term perspective of, of our problems and the things that we think that we worry so much about? Wouldn't it affect our joy? Understanding that the happenstance of today and tomorrow will pass, but that the greater joy is the reward to which we look forward, that same, that's the same reward that Moses looked to. Indeed, Moses was the meekest among men, and we, like David and Jesus, should have that very same meekness. It's a quality we all should strive for. It means, again, as Psalm 37 will bring us to, submitting to God's will above our own. Trusting him fully and not freaking out when the world gets scary. Waiting patiently on his timing. And mostly it means putting our strength under his control. Not speaking till it's time, not acting until God calls, not doing until God leads. Meekness is not weakness, then. It is putting yourself fully under God's control. We reviewed Google's definition of meekness as quiet, gentle, submissive. And I still think that's a true definition as long as you apply toward God at the end of that, for the Christian anyway. Meekness means being quiet towards God. Not worrying and freaking out. Means gentle in the ways of God. Being totally submissive to God. When we understand that, it affects how we live life. If you're meek toward God, it allows you to put Colossians 3 more easily into practice toward others. Colossians 3 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Passionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. 
And if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you. If you're meek toward God, then it also changes your priorities. 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul calls Timothy, you, man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, patience, gentleness. The King James there translates it as meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Again, it doesn't call for a, being a doormat. It just calls for understanding when the time to fight is and which battles to fight. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of my many witnesses. And finally, if you're meek toward God, it changes how you share the good news of Jesus. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give an answer, <clears throat> to give a defense, some translations say, to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, and to do so with meekness and fear. Meekness is understanding, as Moses truly did, that un <clears throat> who is really in charge no matter what happens. If you understand Scripture, you see quickly that God has put Jesus in charge. Until you obey Him, you can never really honestly say that you love Him. If you truly love Him, I want to invite you tonight to demonstrate meekness, if you haven't done so, by obeying the call to the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to recognize his authority over your own. And if you need the prayers or the encouragement of our family here, uh, we'd love to help you in any way. Next week we're going to talk about the champion as we look at uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Uh, if you have any need tonight, uh, I pray that you'll come. I'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.